Artcentric Podcast with Rafi and Klee. Hola, you amazing artists. It's Rafi and Klee. And today we're going to talk about the multiple art worlds. Or the multiverse of artistry. The, mul- <laughs> the multiverse of artistry. Um, and for anybody that's listening to this, we have our amazing rogue artist family here who always contribute to these podcasts with their brilliant comments, questions, and just brilliance, basically. So if you hear us reading the comments, that's what we're doing. We're not just reading comments. That's not what I meant to say. <laughs> we're not just talking to ourselves. It's not chandelier comment reading. Yeah, it's not chandelier comment reading. Hey, Cameron, on hand said that would be a funny joke for you both to, to just, just stay, stay still. still and pretend that you froze. Before we kicked off this podcast, uh, our screen froze and I was the only one to see it. Yeah, it's because we're dealing with multiple worlds now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> multiple dimensions of art. Converging and causing so- bandwidth. Um, I don't know. Go ahead. (laughs) The reason that I wanted to talk about this subject is because, um, you know, when you're approaching the art world, it's easy to only see one art world, right? Where, and usually it's the art world that gets most of the media and press, which is where they sold an old Picasso or a Van Gogh for millions of dollars, and that's what's considered the art world. I call that the art stock market. It is the art stock market. And in actuality, what you're dealing with is several different layers of art world. It's just like any any other business where you have you know, a manufacturing layer and a retail layer and, and stuff like that where you're dealing with different ways of approaching the market and for art you've got the big uh media conglomerate of the art world that uh, really deals in old paintings as uh stocks basically which is why Klee calls it the art stock market yeah it's it's an investment platform it's not much different than like an antiquities market or investing in any kind of tangible assets yeah and the only the difference between that and the stock market is that the art market is not regulated there isn't any kind of regulation there and that's why you'll get a lot of uh under the table type deals when it comes to this stuff and they talk about like you know uh i was gonna say brainwashing brainwash money money laundering when it comes to art and stuff like that because essentially the way it works is if i own a bunch of picassos and i want to raise the price of my picasso then I'm going to take it to Christie's or Sotheby's and have an auction go off. I'm going to have my friends that are rich, you know, who also own Picassos, basically work up that bid, right? So maybe I paid a million dollars and now the value of a Picasso is going to be $5 million and that just raised the value basically of, of just, all my artwork. Just like industry, it's a game of controlling the supply and the demand. You control the supply by holding the assets uh, and you control the demand by creating hype, essentially. Um, but that might be a different podcast altogether. But yeah. That's just a quick outline of the Just art. a quick outline. That's something that the beers did. But that would be fun to do that because we could talk about vellum, go- vellum, vellum goods. 
Ve- not vellum not goods. Not vellum. Vellum is a type of nice paper. Yes, exactly. Veblen goods. Veblen goods. Uh, so that's like the high expensive uh, Gucci bags. Goods that are like expensive that. simply yeah. because they're expensive. Exactly. <laughs> but that's that's beyond the scope of this particular podcast. I want to lay out some of the art, um, the different art worlds. There was a book that came out in the 80s, and I can't remember who wrote it, but he was talking about the multiple art worlds. And I want to update that. I want to update that list because the book was very, like, based on what the art worlds were then, you know, and it was still based on a very commercial point of view of the art Mm. world. Right. There's a lot more opportunities now for artists. So I want to talk about the different art worlds and just go through this list. The first one that they had listed was fine art. And of course, that's the first thing you think of when you think of the art. You think of fine art. And basically, this is when we're talking fine art. The reality is, and this will, you guys, this is semantics. So like you're dealing with different interpretations of whatever it is. Uh, whatever the word is. But when you're dealing with fine art, traditionally what they mean is like traditional forms of art or painting, uh, sculptures, drawing. And basically this is the world that encompasses the big name galleries, the big name museums and institutions that, you know, exhibit and promote this kind of art. That's usually what fine art is considered. That's always been the trope of fine art. Now, in my opinion, fine art is art any art that's like fine yo that art is fine that art is so fine yeah so that's you know they they've made the distinction between fine art as traditional art right and contemporary art is like new art obviously contemporary if you're creating art right now you are a contemporary artist those lines blur though because you could be con- um contemporary fine art also exactly exactly but i mean and that's the the reality of it is that there isn't any real distinction between it it's just fine art and whatever traditional art is like old art but they don't list it as that they list it as fine art and then contemporary art and what's interesting is that contemporary art is anything that's been created in the last decade or so I'm not sure what the timeline is for contemporary art. It's so complicated. It's so much. You guys, that's why I'm not into like labels and stuff because it's so dumb. It really is dumb. But that's not what we're here to talk about. (laughs) So there's going to be a lot of stuff that's listed as the different art worlds, right? You're going to have performing arts, literary arts, film and cinema, photography, digital art, street art, uh, graphic design, you know, design and visual stuff, crafts and artisans, right? I always love how they separate crafts and artisans. That's, I'd like to remove some of the stigma surrounding the word craft and artisan. It's it's just it's when it's not seen, and the reason that it that some people decide not to see it as art is because it has its own category. But really, it's art. It's all art, whether it's fine art, contemporary art, performing arts, uh, crafts, uh, artisan work. All of it is art. Um, The other side is fashion, you know, fashion art, wearable stuff, Uh, culinary arts, anything dealing with food, Uh, music industry, literary publishing, Uh, art market and galleries, right? Which that in of itself is just, it's a bunch of different 
worlds to begin with, but they have it listed as art market and galleries, academic and institutional art, right? Public art and installations, online art communities, art therapy, and art conservation and restoration. And there's one here that's not added on the list that would be outsider art, right? There was at some point there, there was a big difference between outsider art and the institutional art. Which is also really blurred now because outsider art has become mainstream. Yeah, and that's how it works. Outsider, the reason that we have abstracts and we have impressionists and we have um, surrealism and we have all these different things is because of the art movements. But before they became that, they were not part of the institutional type art. And they, in fact, in every single case, they were rejected by the institution because this doesn't fit into the, you know, it's like, it's almost like always trying to label what art is and then something new comes along and they're like, well, that can't be art because it doesn't fit the criteria of what we've listed as art, which there is no criteria. There really isn't. Shan Chan's like, who needs labels? Lol, isn't it funny? I mean, so humans definitely like to label things in order to better understand them. But then I think the problem is when we take the label and we take it too far and we take it too seriously. Labeling in order to gain an understanding in of itself, I feel like isn't super like bad, but I think when we put too much weight into a label or or really really feel like it's written in stone or like it's really drawing a line in the sand in a kind of hard way, that's when we get ourselves into problematic areas. It gets really interesting because I think that one of the biggest problems there, because you could use a label to describe stuff, right? So you could be like, well, this falls into the realm of surrealism. Here's the description of surrealism. Mm -hmm. um, but it's still art, right? I think that when it comes down to it, it's it gets bad when people use it as the reason for why their art is superior to someone else's art. Oh, so we could say when labels are exclusionary, they become problematic. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So at this point, like, well, this is fine art and this is not fine art. Right. So anything that's not that doesn't fall into that very. Um, tight criteria of what fine art is now becomes not real art, you know, and that's that's one of the issues that you run into in the art world. And really, I, I'll be honest, like you've got a lot of institutions that are like touting that and stuff like that. But to be honest with you, the biggest problem is the artists that are going out there and they're super insecure and they're pointing at somebody else's art and saying that that's not real art, you know. Mm -hmm. um, usually with an air of like uh, being upset about it. Like, I don't know why their stuff is selling. It's not even real art, you know. So historically speaking, the distinction that was made between art and craft, for example, was that art dealt solely in aesthetics and philosophy, whereas craft served a functional purpose. And I don't think that originally it was meant to be derogatory in any particular direction, but I think modern context and connotation has lent to having stigmas that I feel don't exist because now, in, the, in this day and age, 
now the line is really blurred between functionality and aesthetics. Yeah. I mean, ideally, you really want functionality and aesthetic. And to recognize the functionality in the aesthetic and the aesthetic in the functionality. And that's and that's <laughs> the truth of it. The reason that there are blurred lines is because artists, you know, went out. You think of um a lot of a lot of really cool artwork that was functional. A lot of you know the Duchamp movement, mm-hmm. where you were taking um, already made, ready made objects mm-hmm. and looking at them in a different way. At that point, you could grab a urinal and turn it around and philosophize all you want about it, and you have this thing that is already made, and you could call it art. I think that's why I stray away from scoffing at artwork that pushes philosophical boundaries such as invisible sculptures or bananas duct taped to a wall, because I think to some respect it's our job as artists to to prod at those labels and to like to to poke holes in those hard defining lines oh, that I, separate I love I love those kind of I love that kind of art because you are pushing you're pushing a boundary and it's cause starting up a lot of news. And what happens is that a lot of people get upset, right? They get upset. I'm like, what do you mean he's selling it? Here I am busting my ass in my studio for like days or months working on one piece. And this person is just selling invisible sculptures for this much money. And it's always this like comparison thing of, you know, illusion, the illusion of success. When in actuality, you stop and look at it, and it's brilliant. It's fun. It's like you are absolutely poking. Here is an invisible sculpture that has directions on how to display it. Meticulous directions. Meticulous directions. directions. And someone purchased it for 11. It's like it's, it's a ridiculous concept, but it really shines a light on how ridiculous these labels are and how far you could go with that kind of stuff. Tyler's like, hell yeah, love some Dada. Yeah, exactly. It's philosophical art. It's asking a question. And I really enjoy that side of the art world. Yeah. Uh, Tyler's like, why do we treat the crafts like craft mac and cheese? Right? (laughs) Right? It's ridiculous. Cameron said, art made to be functional. Things, lol, must not be art for whatever reason. Yeah, and they are art. Art that is functional is art if the artist, if the craftsperson that created it decided that it was art. Because then, let's say that you create a chair, right? I have done um, events where I turned a chair into a work of art, mm-hmm. right? By painting on it, by doing whatever it was that I'm doing, I alter the chair. Now, people could still sit in it. It's still a functional piece of art. But then it it is art. And I would go as far as to say that it was art to begin with, as long as it was created by someone. You know, usually I'm not going to um, alter a chair that was handcrafted by someone because, in my opinion, they already did it. They already did it. That's a work of art. But if I buy, you know, a mass produced chair and I carve into it and turn it into something else, that's a different story. Then, you know, a chair that was mass produced becomes a work of art. But that chair, if it was created by a single person, then in my opinion, that was a work of art to begin with. Mm-hmm. On hand said, I always thought of calling things crafts as a way to expect a lower price. Yeah. And this is part of the, this is part of the discussion that it's- Rafi and I have been ongoing having at one point we said, okay, so is it, 
Is this the distinction between art and craft? Is it that in order for it to be art, it needs to have intellectual property attached to it, right? A concept that goes beyond functionality. Is that what what draws the line in the sand between producing an object and and making tangible an idea? Like maybe in some circles, yes, but also does intellectual property automatically attach a higher price tag than um, making beautiful objects? Uh, right. That serve a functional purpose. It's a good. It's it's a it's a great thing to contemplate. These are all discussions that are worth having for sure. And honestly, I welcome that discussion. I don't mind necessarily that people disagree on these things. I think when it gets hateful, then that's kind of icky. But I think well, you don't accomplish anything with being stupid and hateful. Ongoing discussion is definitely welcome. I've never personally minded being called a crafter as a jewelry designer. Or, or um, you know, anything in that realm. Some of my jewelry pieces, most, all of my jewelry pieces, have a thought process and a message and intellectual property attached to them. Um, but, and sometimes, you know, if, if a client wants to know what that is, then I'll share that with them. But sometimes they just think it's lovely and that's enough for them. So um, I guess... It's not necessarily my duty to like make sure that the general public knows that, but at the same time, me as the artist, like I get to say or not say <laughs> what's attached to. Exactly. Piece. I mean, you're the artist. You get to decide what your work is, whether you decide that it's a craft or not. And honestly, I, I'll be honest with you. I've traced back this word and, you know, you've got craft artisans and you've got this. And I will say that the reason to craft, you know, working on it, because when you're an artist and you're working on a painting, you are working on your craft, right? There's, there's no, there's nothing wrong. There's no negative connotation to that word. However, we also use it as a children's method of working on some kind of creative project. Oh, these kids are going to be doing arts and crafts, right? So we have that association that it is something that is easy, so easy that a child could do it. You know, it's like, oh, when you're working on your, you know, you're working on your arts and crafts. And I think that that's the problem. But really, at the end of the day, when you look up the word and you look at, at the etymology of the word, we're talking about someone who is skilled in what they do, mm -hmm. creating something. And that falls into every single line of work, whether it is a fine artist or anybody. We are all working on our craft. It's a trade. Um, it's a skilled trade, right? Uh, sculpting is a skilled trade. You could look at it that way. Me as a jeweler, it's, it's a trade. Jewelry is a trade. Um, you could call me an artisan. You could call me a tradesperson. You could call me a crafter. Or you could call me an artist. Personally, I'm not bothered by any of those. If, if we go into the history of it, though, that's what everything was. Yeah. If you were an artist, you were a that was a trade. That was a trade. It, it wasn't. It wasn't there. This definition that happens, that this separation and definitions that happen, really come down to marketing. You mm -hmm. know, and you have to at when when you're dealing with the art stock market, there has to be a distinction between things in order to explain why it is that this work of art costs millions of dollars 
right? Because now it's a work of art. It is a fine art as opposed to dealing with crafts or dealing with contemporary art. And it's, it's very, it's just words. It's just words and it's ridiculous. But again, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with calling it a craft. There's, there's nothing wrong with calling it fine art or traditional art or whatever it is that you want to call it. It's only when it's used in a way to put down something else, to put down... When it's exclusionary or when it's derogatory. Exactly. Mary said, I've seen some amazing craft creations that I would love to be able to create. Um, Marty said, stepson... You're so crafty when I made a when made a mosaic sneer in the tone crafty. Hey, thanks. My day job is kindergarten teacher. What would you expect? Teachers of young similarly treated, not professors. Yeah. So again, we're dealing with stigma. Stigma, stigma. And it, you know, it's the same thing. You'll hear us talk about that when it comes to the mediums that you use in your art, right? There's stigmas that are attached to labels and Stigmas that are attached to certain things. There, and I would say that when it comes down to that, there's a lot of a lot of great art professors and art teachers out there. A lot of great ones, mm-hmm. but there are some really suck ass, insecure people that wanted to be artists that ended up either going into teaching or being a critic or being something else in the art world that still have a chip on their shoulder, and. A lot of times those people have a very, you know, uh, is it would it be not inclusive, exclusive way of seeing what art actually is and what the art world actually is. I think the good news um, for me is that we're seeing a lot of um, major art platforms that have a lot of audience and a lot of influence totally busting those barriers down. So um, just to give a shout out. I'm a subscriber to the newsletter, the daily weekly newsletter from Colossal Magazine. Mm -hmm. And Colossal is continuously featuring artists working in all mediums. Um, There's a lot of textile art that's being shown. There's a lot of paper art that's being shown. Uh, There's large-scale installation work. There's conceptual work. And I think the thing that's cool is you're seeing you're shi- there they are shining a light on artists who are using craft, and I'm saying that with air quotes, materials traditionally to create very evocative, thought-provoking works of art. Yeah. And it's really blurring that line in a public way, in a public way. That that way, okay, here it is. It's out. Now discuss. Let's discuss amongst ourselves. And the truth of the matter is that when you go to an art show, you're not thinking of the distinction between, like, what kind of art is this? I've heard people ask me, like, is this kind of art good? And it's like, what do you think? Like, it's do you <laughs> it think really it's is up to you to decide whether or not you like the art or you don't like the art. Uh, Leslie says, high art, low art, conceptual art, just create and flow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean... So I want to talk about what matters. So we just talked about what doesn't matter when it comes to the multiple art worlds, Mm -hmm. right? And what does matter is when you were looking at the art world and trying to find your place within the art world, I think that it's important to understand there are multiple art worlds, right? So 
for example, you know, there are different galleries. Not every gallery is the same. Not every gallery is, you know, this high-end thing that once you get in there, your artwork is going to sell for millions of dollars or thousands of dollars. Not every art gallery is like that. Some art galleries are co-op. Some art galleries are predatory and you want to stay away from them. Some are commercial spaces that you rent. Um, same thing with shows. Some art art walks are small and it will cost you $10 to set up on a sidewalk. Some art walks are going to be $1,000 to set up. So, you know, you really want to take a look and see where is it that I fit in this right now. And when you're first starting out, you're going to be at a tier of the art world where you're like, you know, I'm not going to um, do a show where I'm going to have to pay $1,000. I'm going to do a show where I'm going to pay hopefully 10 bucks to I, show my I artwork. I like 10 bucks. Yeah, 10 bucks is good. <laughs> Shan Shan said, I think when YouTube may made craft suggestion on homepages of people who look at traditional art, it made them more aggressive about craft is art type of thinking. It, you know, people are going to get aggressive because the only time that people get aggressive is when you are challenging their perception of the world that they have attached some kind of self-esteem to. Mm -hmm. Right. This and, is true. And that's where you run into these, you know, you run into medium slobs, slobs, <laughs> medium snobs, because they pride themselves in using this particular medium. And this is the high grade medium. And this is what real artists use. So they need to put down everything else, because if they decide to agree that all mediums are equal, it takes away their um, their reason for feeling good about what they do. And I think that that's, those labels really come in and attach to that self-esteem for individuals of what they consider high art versus low art, and it becomes part of their world. And so when you challenge that, people get really upset. People get really upset. This is true, and I would say that it's also true that as personal self-worth increases the need to make distinctions that separate you from others decrease oh yeah yeah in tandem yeah you absolutely you don't need to put anybody else down to make yourself feel good mm -hmm. i mean that's the reality of it jenny said very cl clicky people need to polarize to feel important like a top chef chef cook home cook female chef versus male chef it's insecure posturing for validation Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Maggie said, when I created baskets, I considered myself a crafter because the pieces were often recreated from the same base pattern. The paintings I do, I consider art because they are one of a kind. And that's a distinction that yeah. a lot of people make. And there's nothing wrong with personally making that distinction for yourself. Um, as long as you're not like using it to like downplay your skills downplay your... <laughs> your skills or put anybody else down i think about that because you know you have the ready art movement mm -hmm. you have artists damien hurst uh took apart another painting of flowers and cut out all the flowers it was basically taking that and using it in a different painting as a collage you know i don't think he asked for permission to do it either but like artists do that we do that we'll we'll <laughs> take things that are going to make our lives easier when we're creating the art. Um, I do that too. I cut out my own stencils. The moment that I uh, am able to afford a stencil cutter maker thing, 
I am yeah, doing one of that. Those. I am doing that. Anhan said, I think craft versus art comes down to people just finding comfort and security in labeling. And I agree, it's marketing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Shanjian said, I like the way Rafi did that piece with the person crawling out of the paper. A crawling out with paper. Thank I enjoyed you. that piece too. Yeah, Rafi is definitely one that likes to push the boundaries of what you, especially like, well, how three dimensional can you get with two dimensional art? Yeah. How much um, fun could you have? Because it's, it's all part of self expression. And I think whether you're dealing with a, you know, would it would be traditionally seen as a craft or something, I use elements of different trades that I have learned in my artwork. You know, but mm-hmm. I consider it all art. And even if something is functional, I consider it art. Uh, Diane said, I just Googled Colossal. Thanks for sharing. You are most welcome. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're great, Diane. You're going to have fun. They with are. Them. You, I, I really enjoy getting their um, their art collection updates. They're great. Uh, Patricia said, my whole art personality is blurring the lines between craft and art. I love to mix it up. I love that. I love that. And that's what I mean when I say, you know, like we as the artists truly, um, it's our job to blur the lines and push the boundaries and keep innovating and keep creating and keep asking the questions, um, and keep creating the thought provoking art that makes others ask the questions. So really we're holding all the cards. We really, yeah, we really are holding all the cards. I mean, any kind of evolution other than if, first off, if we're not doing cave paintings, that means that art has evolved over the years. And that's due to the different artists that introduce different things, different techniques or styles or whatever into the art world. But also, if you look back at art history, we would all be commissioned artists doing portraiture of wealthy patrons. That would be our lives if it wasn't for people breaking that mold, you know, Mm -hmm. like Frida. Frida is one of those people that broke that mold and created something that was completely based on her life and Mm -hmm. who she was, or an introspective. The exploration of self. Yeah, you also have the first abstracts, and you have um, Impressionism, and you have all these different styles and these different ways of expressing yourself and using the materials that you have. There are artists that use industrial materials when they first, rubber when it first came out, fiberglass when it first came out, and used it in ways that was not practical, and yet... These are different materials that aren't considered um, archival. You know, mm-hmm. when you're dealing with rubber, rubber has a shelf life of like 20 plus years. And certainly Matisse wasn't not concerned no. when he was creating high art out of construction paper. Exactly. And I think about that. I think about the artist. So Matisse gets this. He's cutting out construction paper pieces, putting it together and that's not considered a craft, right? So you could technically say Matisse was doing arts and crafts, but instead it's considered high art, right? And that's the thing is that those lines are so blurred mm-hmm. that if you are using the words in order to put down some artwork or you're using the words against yourself saying, well, I want to veer away from this because I don't want to be this kind. It's like, no, you just create what you create. The good news is it's completely your choice to be, like, discouraged by someone's label or to not give a boop. 
Yeah. Um, Leslie said, group show opening tonight. Great people supporting each other. Find your people. Awesome, Leslie. Gail Friend said, me too. Just signed up for Colossal Newsletter. Awesome. <laughs> we're not this sponsored is, by we're Colossal. We're not sponsored by, by Colossal. We just think they're cool. They're awesome. Um, definitely check them out. Ginny uh, said, there's those artists that paint with coffee. Very cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've done paintings with wine. Um, I want to do some paintings with coffee. What you could do with coffee is really, really cool. Um, I just, it's one of those things that you got to, you, you should be at least a little bit better than I am at watercolor if you're going to try and manipulate coffee for art. Or just, just, you know, go full steam ahead with Just your... a big splatter. This is my, this is my coffee painting. It's a, mm-hmm. it looks like somebody spilled coffee on a piece of paper. Uh, Marty said, at Retired Ladies Coffee, three of us make art. One sells in galleries. Another does portrait commissions. I'm uploading painted flowers on products online. My imposter syndrome kicked in big time. Oh, now, this is interesting, that right? That is interesting, yeah. Because you could look at that as, oh, well, these other things are prestigious, and I'm just blah, blah, blah. Or you could look at it like, okay, well, that's pretty traditional, what these ladies are doing, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm also existing in um, in a more contemporary way, right? Where I'm creating work and I have access to these online tools and I'm utilizing them in a contemporary way that expands my reach as an artist. So you could say, well, I'm delving into a slightly more forward uh, way of doing this when it comes to my art. Does that make you an imposter? I mean, I don't think so. So no. it really is a matter of perspective. I mean, that's the thing. Like, you know, a lot of us, a lot of us use a measuring stick based on what came before. Mm-hmm. And when you're dealing with new tools like the internet and things like that, like the print, internet, the internet, <laughs> print on demand and stuff like that, like, you know, you're dealing with new tools. And I will tell you right now that those great artist, right? That everybody's like, these are the great artists. If they had these tools available to them, you could bet your ass that they'd be selling t-shirts and whatnots and, and putting oh, Picasso would have had all the t-shirts. Oh, Picasso, Picasso already did. He didn't have print on demand, but Picasso was already doing plates and t-shirts and merchandising and all that stuff, you know, and, and he wasn't the only one, but we don't hear about those stories. You know what I mean? You have to actually like research the artist like pretty deeply to find these stories, but it's there. It it's is there. there. And I think that's also why like really delving into artists of the, the bygone eras is so great, right? Because when you learn more about that world, you get more depth and detail. What was what was going on and were these people innovators? Absolutely they were. And I always think about that, Marty, like whenever, you know, cause I went through the same thing when I was like, all right, I'm going to sell a t-shirt. Well, real artists don't, you know, like you get that, that idea in your own head. <laughs> and it's like, you always, I always think to myself, like, what would one of these great, but what would Picasso say if somebody came up to him? It's like, well, your t-shirts, those aren't real art, you know? And it would be, you know, a middle finger and like, you know, go F yourself basically. And in my mind, I'm like, that's the same way that I treat that imposter syndrome. Speaking of, I think the artists of Picasso's day were so vocal about their position on things too. And I think that that's something that it's important not to lose that, right? Stand up for who you are and what you're creating. Stand for what you're creating. Don't take abuse 
from anyone. Be vocal about it. I think if you could take a page from uh, those people, Mm -hmm. it would be like defend your art, even if people are calling it. I mean, degenerate art was the popular term in their day. But even if people are calling it something that you disagree with, you know, like you have two approaches, like Zara says, to not worry about it, keep creating, keep innovating, let other people argue or be like, no, you know, you could feel that way. This is how I feel about it. Um, And open the floor for discussion. Yeah. Don't take it silently if it's bothering you. I love that you said that because I have a T-shirt design that I'm going to work on on Saturday. And it is it's only degenerate art until your art becomes popular. That's basically. So it's only degenerate until it's mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. Your ideas are only you're only a degenerate until your ideas work. You know, (laughs) like that's that's basically how it goes. Jenny said, I did a painting with liquid paper because that's all I had. Ooh, that's cool. I love that. That's cool. I have loved seeing some of your beautiful innovations, Jenny, and all of you guys. Um, So I think it was Jackson Pollock that said, uh, the materials I use are materials out of necessity. My Mm -hmm. creativity was born out of necessity. And I love that because that's, you know, you as an artist... You're not going to like wait around and be like, I'm going to wait until I get these materials. Like a lot of times you're in the middle of something and you're like, I'm going to use whatever I can to make this look the way that I want it to look. Fiddlesticks. What do I have around here? I don't know who says fiddlesticks. (laughs) I'm bringing it back. I think fiddlesticks is a great exclamatory word as well as (laughs) drats. I'd like to see drats make a comeback also. Uh, Shan Chan, whose full username for context is Planet Shan Chan Art. My username is about how what I create can be based on anything in my world and my life, and I love that. Uh, I also think that Rafi and Klee have created their own art world. I like their world of archivers. Oh, thank you, Shan Chan. That's awesome. And that just comes from playing the long game and really standing up for who you are and what you're doing in your art world. And it's... it's um. It's not hard to create an art world of your own so long as you maintain, you know, maintain, persevere, push through the suck, stand up for what you're doing, be able to communicate that and keep going. And I think really that's that's at the end of it. The reason that we have such a diversity in art is because of that, because people... You know, anybody could have gone to Duchamp or anybody that was doing the ready-mades, Salvador Dali with his um, lobster phone and be like, well, that's not art and blah, blah. And they didn't care. And there were critics. There were critics. There were absolutely critics. There are always critics. Always critics. Whenever you're doing anything new, you are going to be criticized. I would argue that being a critic has its roots back to the like the beginnings of modern humans and the beginnings of artwork and literature. Um, we have examples of smack talk from ancient Greece. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> In Pompeii. Yeah. Um, so there's always going to be artists, innovators. There's always going to be naysayers, bystanders, critics, um, there's always going to be people creating labels and boundaries, and there's always going to be people that are pushing at those labels and boundaries. Uh, it's part of the human story. And a good way of saying that is you're always going to have visionaries, right? People that see beyond the scope of what has already been laid out to them. 
And then you're going to have people that cannot see beyond what already exists. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So when you create something new that hasn't existed yet or is a, an amalgamation of other things that have existed but have never been put together before, these people don't know what to do with it. Because they don't see beyond what already exists. And that doesn't make them horrible. No, no. It just makes them people who have a different focus. And I think that's another thing I want to put a fine point on is that's kind of part of our job as artists to shine the light on those things. And to push those boundaries. And to do it so much and so consistently that it becomes more digestible for people who... Don't think that way. But I think that that's, a, that's the key there. You have to keep doing it. Mm -hmm. You got to keep doing it. You got to keep creating. You got to keep improving on what it is that you're already doing. Because then the more you put it out there and the more that this group of people that aren't used to seeing anything beyond what already exists, now you've brought it into existence. So yeah, they're going to they're gonna repel it at first and they're going to be like, no, 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 no. But after it's there for a few years... They're they're going to start to accept it slowly but surely. This I is think the way. Shan Chan says criticism just means you're doing it right, and that's my perspective because it is your job as a creative to forward think and to put things that are going to start new conversations out there, mm -hmm. right? If you put something out there and it gets criticized because you know people don't understand it, um, and then you give up, then you've then you're, you're done. You're basically conforming to what already exists. Then that thing died after its first flight. Yeah. Basically. That's sad. That's, That's a real so sad, sad way of don't, putting it. Don't do that don't kill your it, Don't kill your projects after their first flight. Uh, Shan Chan said, yeah, that has always been the artist's job, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, Zara says, as long as there are people, there will be opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody is entitled to their own opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's why I'll say like, you don't, if you disagree with somebody, that's fine. If somebody doesn't like your art, if they're like, your art is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Right. I would be like, wow. Wow. That's a distinction. That is amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. Thank you. You know what I mean? It's like. You, if somebody is going to go through all the trouble to tell you that your artwork sucks, and you made them feel, you made them feel something, and you know, so thank you, thank you for your opinion. You Leslie know? said yes, appreciate those with a different focus rather than becoming part of the critics. Circle. Yeah, exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. You know, because and and that's a, I think that that's an important distinction to make here mm -hmm. when it comes to the different art worlds. Right? Don't allow someone to put you down, right, to lift themselves up, you know? And what I mean by that is, like, don't fight them. Don't over-explain your position. Accept, you know, okay, well, that's your opinion. But that's it. That's your opinion. But also you don't have to smash their face in the dirt. Exactly. For <laughs> believing different. I think this is a thing that as a human, but I think that um, being a creative uh, expedites this process a little, is that I've come to the conclusion for myself that really, truly, genuinely, as much as a lot of my beliefs and opinions are held dear to me... <laughs> 
um, they are no more or less correct and good than anyone else's beliefs and opinions. And so when someone comes at me with wildly different beliefs and opinions, I don't automatically make the assumption that they're less than me or that they're wrong. Um, now, if somebody comes at me in an aggressive manner, I'm going to like, you know. Then it's different. <laughs> then it doesn't really have much to do with the opinion. It has to do more with it becomes a battle of who's right. And that's the thing. It's like when it comes down to it, the labels for the art world, the opinions on what art is and what art isn't really at the end of the day, just come down to an opinion. Mm-hmm. I believe that if someone creates something, then it is art. That's not the opinion of some people, and they're going to disagree with me. And in those situations, you got to be okay with that because mm-hmm. you don't know what's attached to that opinion that they have. You don't know what's attached to my opinion. My opinion is very personal to me. I'm like, listen, I can create whatever I want. I don't want to be pigeonholed into just working in one medium or one thing like that. So it's very personal. You attack my opinion and I'm like, whatever. I'm, no. I'm also not so rigid or so arrogant as to think that like my opinion could never be swayed if offered uh, yeah. a bit of information that changed it. And I think, um, you know, I think it's good to be open in that way. Like, well, it's like, you know, it's like making the statement like, well, country music sucks, you know? Right. So uh, back in my music snob days, I by and large felt that way about like certain genres of music. And actually what happened is that the more that I got to know about music and the more music I listened to and the more I delved into music... I, I I was less exclusionary and I found more things to love about genres that I previously gave zero chances to. I feel like the more you learn, the more you become an open person and less of an exclusionary person. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because back in the day when I wasn't doing my art, right, but I, I was working in corporate, but I wanted to be an artist and I considered myself an artist and I created like maybe one work of art a year or two. Um, but there was a lot of insecurity attached to my perspective. I was very, very like, well, that's not real art and that's not what I was very negatively opinionated about everything. And it didn't really have anything to do with the artwork that I was looking at. It had everything to do with how I felt about myself and my place in the art world. You were measuring yourself up against what you were observing. Exactly. And the truth is that's what everyone is doing. Yes. (laughs) And so it comes down to an opinion. And that's why, you know, I could back then, if I would have told someone, well, your art's not real art or whatever, somebody responds to me and they take it personal and they're like, well, it is. And then we get into an argument. Then it becomes this like battle of wits. Or wills. Or wills. Who can be more stubborn? Who could be more stubborn and and dig their heels in versus I I remember telling somebody, it's like, well, you know, that's... That's kind of like lowbrow art. And he looked at me. He was like, all right, well, whatever. If that's how you see it, then, you know, mm-hmm. it's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. And then they they left. And I was like, I felt like a jerk. I was like, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Like, this is all insecurity and, and stuff like that. And it's it's interesting because it those experiences with people that are so confident that they just don't care. You know, it's like Warhol. Warhol was like, 
let them let them decide let them fight and decide whether or not it's real art meanwhile you just make more art make more art marty said artists need cohorts like rogues to encourage and energize because the critics or even those who don't think the same way or understand takes a different energy to meet them yeah a good support system is always going to be like you know better than trying to be an island in the art world or any realm for that matter. Yeah. Um, it's not that it's terrible to exist as an island, but I think when we collaborate with each other and when we have a group that can collaborate and, um, and is diverse in thought and medium and background, that's even more powerful than a group of completely like-minded individuals. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think there's power in, like, we have found common ground with our rogue family here. Of We think differently about things. We work differently. Uh, we have va- varying opinions, but we all kind of agree on a couple of common ground points that make us the rogue fam, and there is mad power in that. It, there sure. is. There is. And because the truth is that it expands. It expands the perspective. Mm-hmm. And that's where that's where a lot of these ideas come from. It's from having these open conversations, you know. And, and really, I think at the end of the day, one of the main things is understanding that, like, your perspective, right? That's all it is. It's your opinion. It's mm-hmm. your perspective, right? When you look at art and you're like, well, that's not really good art, right? It doesn't mean that it's not good art. It just means that in your opinion, you don't like it. That's that's it, you know? And that's at the end of the day, like when I've looked at uh, like art criticisms and stuff like that, it's really because the person doesn't like it. I don't like it. It doesn't mm-hmm. meet the criteria of the artwork that I like. Or I love this one. This one, it meets the criteria. I know, like, I love uh, Jerry Saltz, but there have been some pieces that he criticizes that I'm like, I don't I don't see that, dude. And then there are pieces that he loves that I'm like, mm, I don't see that either. And, uh, I, and I love yeah. him. I love his opinion. Yeah, and he is one that in the art world, in the mainstream art world, he understands not to take his own opinion seriously. Yeah. Um, And so he is one of the open ones. I would love to see more people discuss art in that kind of simplified way where it's like, I think I don't like this, but maybe it's just because I don't get it. Like, and maybe... Like what we did with Rothko? Yeah, and maybe someone could explain it to me or I could do my own research. Or like, I don't know, I'm not sure what the message is here. Like, if you have, if you're lucky enough to be talking to the artist... To be like, could you tell me more about this? You know, kind of thing. It's so funny because Rothko was one where, like, I was already well into my art career. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, like, why is this guy popular? It's just squares and squares and, you know, like, whatever, yeah. blah, blah. And, like, you know, whatever, whatever artist statement he writes about this is complete bullshit. It's totally... And, you know, I could trace it back to, like, my own insecurity, right? Because, like, I was creating abstracts and nobody was buying them. How did he get infamous how, doing squares? How, how did he get famous doing these simple squares? Like, this is bullshit. And then I realized that, like, I didn't like having that... Ick. That ick, that, that vibe. And I remember you and I being like, all right, why don't we look into this? Let's, let's do, do this. Let's do some research. Let's look into this person's life and the artwork that they created and these these particular pieces and find out more about it. And I remember 
at the end of the first documentary, we watched several, but at the end of the first documentary, I was like, holy shit, this is cool stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I love Rothko, and I love his technique, and I love, you know, what he did. Tyler said, don't just be an island. Be part of an yeah, archipelago. archipelago. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I love it, Tyler. That's from our our video, our last video. Valerie said, I used to take much criticism to heart. Now I don't care, honestly, because I like the way I do art. I don't ask for constructive criticism anymore, ever. That's great. It's good to be, it is good to stand confident in what you're doing. And if constructive criticism comes at you, that you can take it in a neutral way. You know, if unsolicited constructive criticism comes at you, uh, that you can take it in a neutral way. If unsolicited, unconstructive criticism comes at you, that you could take it in a neutral way. I mean, as long as it, you're taking it in a neutral way and as long as you're having fun with it, you know? I, In my opinion, I've had... I remember at the market, somebody was, like, looking at one of my pieces and they were like, I don't get it. You know, and just standing in the booth, um, he was like, I don't get it. I was like, what don't you get? He's like gestures you just like, gestured to my I was whole like, painting oh so you gestured at no my entire wall of paintings i was like so you just gestured at all you don't get any of them he's like i don't i don't get it what is is just lines and marks and i was like well technically all paintings are just lines and marks mm-hmm. really you know so like do you have a hard time uh digesting art he's like no i, li- I like you know i like paintings and art and i was like cool oh so you just don't like my art He's like, and then he got really embarrassed. Like he was like, I guess I, I guess I don't. I was like, well, that's fine. You know? And that was it. That was the conversation. And then he and I had a completely awesome conversation after that because all the pressure was off. Yeah. Right. He didn't have to like my art. And before he left, he was like, well, I really, I kind of like that one. (laughs) So it's like one of those things. That's a good conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Valerie said, exactly. The unsolicited comes at me and I'm not offended either. It's a good suggestion or... Yeah. 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 Pretty much, uh, Zara said, stay neutral. Just analyze the data. Yeah. And that's... Exactly. And that's, you know, when it comes down to it, you guys, I think the reason that I wanted to talk about the multiple art worlds is because there is this perception that artist, you're only an artist if you're in this world or you're only an artist if you get accepted by this gallery or you have an agent or you have whatever. And the truth is that for all of us, every famous artist that you know of in history, they all had a different, a completely different path in how they got to where they got to and how they did their art career, how they performed in their art career. Every single artist, every single artist had a different path. The difference is that they followed their own path. They did their own thing. Mm -hmm. And that's the only reason that we know about them. Sarah said, all people are just lines and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, everything's pretty much lines and stuff. Uh, It's true. And light bouncing off of it. Tyler said, responding to Rothko, I have similar feelings toward... Jeff Koons. Jeff Koons is the same one. Now, Jeff Koons, I'm still working on wrapping my mind around mm-hmm. Jeff Koons. You know, and that's there the thing. are things that I'm that that he creates that I'm like, that's pretty cool. And then there are things where I'm like, I don't like that. Right? Kinda, yeah. That doesn't resonate with me. I think it's important to note too, like, right? If you're like, I don't get this, or I don't think I like this, or whatever, and you choose 
to delve into it further to see if there's a gem or a nugget of understanding that might change you. And you come out of it and you're like, no, I still don't get it and I still don't really like it. That's fine. Yeah. There are some works of art and some artists famous and and like not famous that I've like met and spoken to that I'm like, it doesn't resonate with me and that's okay. Like, I'm good with that. Um, Not everyone's for everyone. No. And not everything's for everyone, and, and that's good. And you got to be okay with it. I mean, I, I watched a, a, a master class with Jeff Koons, and even afterwards I was like, I don't, you know, he was talking about his history with the gazing ball, and I was like, it just sounds like you're stringing words together to me. But there are certain things where I saw Jeff Koons. I saw, I think it was a basketball floating in a fish tank, and I thought it was cool, but on a, on a purely scientific I think that's Damien Hurst, isn't it? No, the, the, the bas- basketball. The basketball is is Jeff Koons. The shark is Damien Hurst. Okay, my bad. <laughs> Don't embarrass us. This is an art podcast. I'm gonna look it up afterwards <laughs> <laughs> to see if I'm wrong. Yeah, I associated the floating basketball with Damien Hurst. Small fish tank. The things floating Small and things. Small tank basketball. Yeah. Yeah. I am going to look it up, though. He does a, this thing with buoyancy <laughs> to get the basketball to float right in the center. Of the I tank. actually respect that, that floating no, basketball that's, thing. That's yeah. cool. I think that that's cool. But at the same time, like his his artist statement about it, I was like, uh, I don't know. But again, that's my stupid opinion. Like it doesn't have anything to do with the reality on whether it's art or it's not art, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Marty said when people have pulled the banana from the duct tape and bitten it, then I think art begets performance art. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> I agree. And I think when someone takes the invisible sculpture and takes the set of instructions that come with it to heart and displays it prominently, that's performance art as yeah. well. Yeah. That's being part of the experience. and. Geez, people are willing to shell out um, money to be part of that inside experience, part of that inside joke, part of that performance art, whatever you want to call it, to be part of that uh, if it resonates with them. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, absolutely not. Mary said, I really like Jeff Koons. Yeah, and, you know, the thing is, I don't have an opposition to Jeff Koons, but I'm not completely sold on everything that Jeff Koons does. Does that mean anything Nope. It, you know what I mean? It doesn't mean, because of my personality, it doesn't mean that I'm going to stop exploring or I'm just going to write someone off as not, you know, oh, well, I don't like, because that's not true. The same thing happens with music. Every musician, every song is a, a unique creation. You know, how many times did you, back in the day, when you had to buy the full CD or the full album, did you buy an album for one song, and then you were like, everything else on this. I'm just, yeah. And then you had it in your car just playing over and over, and by the end of it, you just loved every song on the CD. Sometimes. 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 Yep. Okay, you guys. I feel like that was a pretty good discussion. Yeah. This, so, interestingly. This, this totally tangented off. From art world to perceptions of the art world and perception of artists and stuff like that. I think it did it in an unexpected and excellent way, which I appreciate. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you to everyone. Yeah. So I want to thank the Rogues for being here. You guys are absolutely amazing. This was a great conversation. Um, At the end of the day, if I'm going to leave you guys with something, uh, in my opinion... 
everything that exists basically is based on opinions. So, you know, my opinion is that those are all opinions and you decide what opinions. I don't think that when it comes to art and the art world or the different art worlds that there's anything written in stone. Despite the fact that some people may want you to think so, there just isn't. I think it's all just a bunch of opinions and popular opinions seem to become more true, quote unquote true, air quotes type thing. Mm -hmm. But really at the end of the day, it's just a bunch of opinions and you get to choose what you're going to believe when it comes to the art world and which art world you're a part of. Also remember that things that are written in stone also change over time due to erosion and time. (laughs) Erosion and time. Those are my final thoughts. Even things written in stone aren't written in stone. That's good. That's good. All right. And thank you so much to everybody listening at home. You guys are amazing. Thank you for subscribing to our podcast. If you have subscribed to our podcast and if you haven't, Go ahead and click somewhere around here to subscribe. And that's it. Let us be off. Want to say goodbye, Clee? Good day. Adios.